Have you noticed that most of the Bible is description, not commands? Have you noticed the Bible spends much more time describing things to you than telling you what to do? Now, why is that? You might think what you need is a book of instructions, what to do. God doesn't seem to think that. He seems to think you mainly need a book of descriptions, descriptions particularly of him and what he does. Why? Well, because God is very kind. He's very kind. And the main thing he wants from you is for you to trust him. That's the main thing he wants you to do is to trust him. And so he's filled the Bible with descriptions to help you trust him. The thing that's going to make the biggest difference to your life is whether you're trusting God or not. The thing that's going to make the biggest difference to where you go when you die is whether you're trusting God or not. And that's why we've got the Bible. And in particular, we've got four Gospels. These four books we call Matthew, Mark, Luke and John that that are packed with descriptions of Jesus. So you see, Jesus is the one I can trust. Jesus, the man who is God, I can trust him. Well, today we're carrying on through Mark's gospel. We've been going through Mark's gospel for a little while and we've got to chapter 6, verse 30 to 44. So if you've got a Bible, would you turn to Mark 6, verse 30 to 44? If you haven't got one, there's plenty, those brown ones on the shelves at the back. Feel free to help yourself because it will really help you to see in front of you Mark chapter 6. Now here, Mark is showing us Jesus, so we trust him. That's what he's doing. That's the aim of this, showing us Jesus, so we trust him. I want to try to show you that. My plan is two parts, two very uneven parts. First of all, I want to tell you the main thing Mark is showing us about Jesus. And then secondly, I want to go through the account of Jesus doing a miracle to show you that main thing. Okay, two parts simply. And you might guess from that, the the second one is going to be the longer one. So first of all, what's the main thing Mark is showing us? Jesus is the leader you need. That simply is the main point here. Jesus is the leader you need. Now, we all need a leader. It's true across life. Children, think of your class at school. What happens when the teacher doesn't firmly lead your class at school? You probably know this, don't you? Because it's probably happened. Someone else will take a lead and probably a naughty child causing trouble will take the lead. You need your teacher to take a firm lead because if you don't, someone else will take a lead. A family needs good leadership. Sadly, so many insecurities in children can be traced back to, not all of them, but so many can be traced back to, Lack of right leadership in their families when they grew up. A nation needs good leadership. Can some of you remember 2017? And there was a general election. And leading up to it, what did Theresa May keep saying? What was her catchphrase? She said it so many times. Strong and stable leadership. Strong and stable leadership, she kept saying. We need strong and stable leadership. It was a pretty chaotic time. It was Brexit and it was a divided parliament. Chaos. 
And she said, what we need is strong and stable leadership. Now, in this room, there will be various different opinions on whether she gave strong and stable leadership or whether she displayed actually the need for or lack of strong and stable leadership. But whichever you think, surely you have to agree the time did show there is a need for strong and stable leadership. A country needs good leadership. It's part of us being creatures. It's part of the way God has made us that we need a leader. You need a leader, someone you can follow with confidence, someone to lead you through life. It's the way God's made us all. Well, Mark chapter 6, verse 30 to 44, the main message is Jesus is the leader you need because he has power and compassion. That's what you need in a leader. Some are well-meaning but weak. Some are strong but ruthless. What a great combination. Jesus has power and compassion. And that makes him the leader you need. By the way, children, are you listening? I've basically just given you the answer to one of your questions on your sheet, if you're doing your sheet. Now, in a minute, I want to show you that Jesus is the leader you need from the feeding of the 5,000. But first of all, briefly, let's just see this. Mark chapter 6 tells you about two meals hosted by two leaders. And what a contrast there is between them. Can you spot in chapter 6, two meals hosted by two leaders? In the first half of the chapter, Herod hosts a meal. In the second half of the chapter, Jesus hosts a meal. Two leaders. Um, Ben, can we have the table on the screen, please? Let's just quickly compare these two leaders. At the first meal, there's Herod, and he's weak. Sorry, I'm going to presume that you were here two weeks ago and heard the story of, or however many weeks ago. Um, If you didn't, sorry, hopefully you'll be able to pick this up. Herod's so weak, manipulated by the women around him, which the Bible would say is a sign of weakness politically incorrect. Jesus, powerful, we'll see in a minute, miraculous power. Next line, Herod cruel, had a man's head chopped off and presented on a plate. Jesus, compassionate, as we'll see in a moment. Next line, Herod, self-indulgent, his his meal is a drunken, debauched, self-indulgent banquet. Jesus, we'll see in a moment, so self-giving. And next line, Herod, his word is rash. He makes an oath that he doesn't think through, says it suddenly. The consequences are so bad, a man gets killed. Jesus, his word is good. He teaches the crowd what they need to hear. And last line, who comes to Herod's banquet? Who are his sort of people? Um, Only for the elite. It's, It's a disorderly, indulgent banquet, and surely they end up miserable. You can't be You can't be happy, can you, at a banquet where someone's head is on a plate in front of you. Jesus' people, though, his his meal is for all the ordinary people, everyone invited. And he has this orderly and yet joyful meal that provides their needs. Do you see Mark is here saying, look at what the leaders of the world are like. Admittedly, this is an extreme example, Herod. And then look at the leader you need, Jesus. Okay, we can get rid of the table. Thanks, Ben. That's showing you something of what's going on in chapter six. But more importantly, it's showing you the big point here is 
Jesus is the leader you need. Look at his power combined with compassion. Well, let's see that in action by going through the story of the feeding of the 5,000. I'm going to call it a story of five chapters. So when I refer to chapters, I'm not talking about chapters in Mark. I'm just going to split the story into a story of five chapters. Although I must admit, I don't expect to get on to chapter five. I think I will have taken too long by then. A story of five chapters. Chapter one, interrupted rest. Interrupted rest. The apostles are just back from a preaching and healing tour. And even now they're back, there's a constant flow of people wanting to see them. And they're so busy that Jesus and his disciples don't even get time to eat. Do you see that there in verse 31? There's not even a chance to eat. There are so many people wanting to see them. Well, nobody can keep going like that forever. And so Jesus says, come on, let's get away by ourselves to a quiet place and have a rest. Off they go to the quiet place. But it turns out not to be so quiet because people follow them. And the crowds come after them, thousands of people. And far from getting a rest, they're busier than ever. Now, let's think about rest. Parents, parents, are your children lovely when they're asleep? Are your children lovely when they're asleep? Do do you ever go in to check they're all right and you see them lying there in bed and, oh, they look angelic? And aren't they lovable when they're asleep? And you go downstairs and you're going to have a nice restful evening. And ten minutes later, there are footsteps down the stairs and little head appears round the door and says, I've got a headache. My little toe is hurting. I think I'm going to be sick. Are they as lovable then? Do you find them as easy to love? Or do you get this? Sometimes even when you're on the toilet, the door is banged and a voice shouts, my sister took my toy off me. I can't even sit on the toilet without in peace. Are they as lovable then? Or maybe you've got really little children. And between 2 a.m. and 5 a.m. some nights, they're up again and again and again. Do you feel so loving towards them then? Interrupted rest. Jesus has his rest interrupted. And make no mistake, Jesus is a man. He has physical needs. He does actually need rest. He's not Superman. His rest is interrupted by thousands of demanding people. What's his attitude? How does he feel? Look at verse 34. Verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. It's amazing. It's amazing words here. He had compassion on them. It doesn't mean he thought he ought to do something for them. That's not what it says. He thought he ought to do something for them. It says his insides were moved with feeling for them. That's what it means. Do you know this word compassion comes from the word for bowels? Think for a moment what your bowels are. That's where this word comes from. Why does it say that? Because actually we talk about feeling in our heart, but you don't really. If you're really moved, your stomach starts to feel it. And it's saying this came from deep within. 
From deep within, Jesus was moved with feeling for these people. Not annoyance, what are you doing? I'm having a rest here. No. There's no reluctance here. There's nothing grudging here. There's no doing the bare minimum here. The word is telling us this comes from deep within. This isn't something Jesus puts on. This isn't something because, oh, we ought to. This is his character. Compassion. A feeling of love for needy people. This is his settled permanent character. His needs will be set aside for the sake of others. Ah, that's very significant. Did you get that? His need for rest will be set aside for the sake of others. And that shouldn't be a surprise if you know the gospel. Because how we are in the little things, like interrupted rest, is a good indicator of how we will be in the bigger things. It's worth making a mental note of that, because we often con ourselves. Did you get that? How we are in the little things, like interrupted rest, is a good indicator of how we'll be in the big things, like if persecution comes. See here how Jesus will react when the bigger test comes. And he's put on trial, and he is mocked, and beaten, and nailed to a cross, and left to die. How will he react then? He will set aside his needs for the sake of others, you and me who need forgiveness. Have a look again at verse 34, how he describes the people. Verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Often the Bible emphasizes our guilt and disobedience and it needs emphasizing. But here it emphasizes our neediness. So needy, we're like sheep without a shepherd. That's needy. Now, children, have you seen sheep? Yeah, I'm sure you've seen sheep. Have you seen a shepherd with them? Not so likely. We don't tend to get that round here, do we? Where have you seen sheep? Probably in a field with a wall round it or a fence round it, and they're pretty safe, aren't they? Not needing a shepherd. But Jesus was not in the East Midlands. He was in the Middle East, which is very different. And there were wolves around, and there's not much grass, or grass as you might call it in the East Midlands, And so they don't stay in the same place. They need a shepherd to lead them to where the grass or whatever it is, is. And to keep them safe from wolves. They need a shepherd to lead them. They're not like East Midlands sheep. Have you got that? They need a shepherd to lead them. That's what Jesus is saying here in verse 34. And he's saying that also is us. That's us. We can't do life on our own. We need a shepherd to lead us. Have you recognised that? Becoming a Christian involves recognising that. You can't become a Christian without recognising this. I'm like a sheep. I don't have the wisdom and I don't have the strength to do life on my own. I need a shepherd to lead me. I need someone with power and compassion to protect me and provide for me and lead me. Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, is all about Jesus is that shepherd.
Okay, that was chapter one. I think that's the longest chapter we have. Chapter two of the story. Chapter two, food in the wilderness. Food in the wilderness. Now, there's a problem. There are thousands of people here. It's getting late. They need something to eat. There is no supermarket. There are no online deliveries around because they are in the wilderness. Look at verse 35. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. The word remote place there is from the word for wilderness. It's the same word in verse 31. Verse 31. Jesus said, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Quiet place comes from the same word wilderness. It's the same word in verse 32. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Although our Bibles have translated them differently, it's all the same from the same word wilderness. Mark's got an emphasis here. It's all in the wilderness. Children, do you know your Bible? What story in the Bible is famous for taking place in a wilderness? There's more than one right answer, but the biggest, most obvious answer is the children of Israel going from Egypt to the promised land through the wilderness. And Mark's making a point here. Here's a leader feeding people in the wilderness. Oh, feeding people in the wilderness, children. How did the Israelites get fed in the wilderness? Bread from heaven. What's Jesus going to do? He's going to feed them bread. Oh, yes, and fish is better than in the wilderness. There's fish too this time. But look at verse 41. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he's making a point. He's feeding them with bread from heaven. And Mark is making a point. Here is the new Moses. Moses was a shepherd. Did you know that? He was he was actually literally a shepherd. And then he became the leader of Israel. He was their shepherd, leading them from slavery to the promised land through a wilderness. And the point here is Jesus is our shepherd, leading us from slavery to sin to the promised land of heaven through this life that is often wilderness-like. The description in the Bible, the actions of Jesus are all to say to us, here's the shepherd leader you need. We're even shown it by little details. Let's look at a a tiny detail. Verse 39. Verse 39. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. Now, when I was at Bible college attempting to learn Greek, my class uh, was working at translating this verse, and you work through word by word. And when it got to, we translated green grass, one of my fellow students said, green grass? Why does it say green grass? Who's ever seen grass that isn't green? By which he showed he's an Englishman living in a rainy island. Because in a lot of the world, green grass is rare. You don't get green grass very much. But in this place, even though it's in the Middle East where there isn't much green grass, And some of you know because you've come from countries where a lot of the grass is yellow. In this place by the Sea of Galilee, at the right time of year, there is a lot of green grass. It's one little example that the Gospels get details right because they are written by eyewitnesses. They're not made up stories. But the green grass is telling us something more. 
There's more to it. Children, where do you normally have your dinner? Probably sitting at a table. You know, probably sitting down at a table. They didn't. They tended to lie down. The word is recline, lie down. In, in Roman Empire cultures, at least for smart meals, lie down. Now, that's the word here in verse 39. When, uh, it's been translated sit down, but it's actually recline, lie down. He made them lie down in the green grass. Is that starting to ring a bell to anyone? He makes them lie down in the green grass. Do you know Psalm 23? Famous psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The Bible is a very well-written book. It all fits together. It's an amazing book. It's got evidence. It's God's message. But more importantly, it's telling us Jesus is the Lord who is our shepherd. He's the leader you need. Okay, let's move on. Chapter three, a job for bemused disciples. A job for bemused disciples. The disciples see the food problem. Verse 36, they see the problem and they see Jesus send the people away because they need food. Whoa, that is the opposite to the sort of thing Jesus does. Jesus does not do send the people away because they're needy. That is the opposite to his character. Jesus' character is this, come to me if you are needy. It is utterly contrary to his character to send away needy people. He says, no, come to me with your needs. But in this case, he wants the disciples involved. So he tells them, verse 37, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Now, their answer in verse 37 is, but it would take eight months' wages to feed this lot. They are factually correct, but can you pick up their tone, which Andy read to us nicely. Their tone was, what are you talking about, Jesus? Are you crazy? The tone is actually pretty rude. But Jesus persists in using them to feed the crowd. Did you see from verse 38 onwards, he's really pushing them. How many loaves have you got? And then he gets them. Now you get the the crowd sitting down. You organise them. He does the miracle, but he uses the disciples. It's quite a theme in Mark's Gospel. After all, the disciples have just come back from a tour, preaching and healing, where they were representing Jesus. Verse 33 is interesting. Why did the crowd chase round the lake? Verse 33, many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. They see the disciples, but they, they know these disciples represent Jesus. Where they are, he is. And then we find Jesus does the miracle, but the miracle is taken to the crowd by the disciples. Ah, now, fellow Christians, are you seeing a clear, simple lesson? We are to represent Jesus. People should know that we are associated with Jesus. Jesus has done the miracle. He's died for sinners and risen victorious. And now we take that to the crowd. Our lives are to display his power. Our actions.
actions and words are to spread his compassion. Jesus has done it, but we are to be like these disciples, spreading it to others. Chapter four, the miracle. Let's get on now to the miracle. Verse 41. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. We're not told exactly how Jesus did this. He broke the loaves. Did the food multiply as he broke it? And, or, or did it multiply as the disciples took it? It doesn't tell us. It doesn't, we don't need to know that. What we do need to know is God makes it clear here. There was enough food for thousands and it came from just five loaves. Uh, by the way, when it says loaves, don't think of Jehovah's. It, it, they're, they're more like a bread roll. Five bread rolls and two fish. Now, we have to admit, don't we, this sounds like a fairy tale, doesn't it? Some of us have heard it for years and are very familiar with it, so we don't sort of get surprised. I want us to try to overcome that and get surprised again. It sounds like a fairy tale. Can we really believe this actually happened? Well, let's ask some questions of it. First of all, let's ask, do the gospel writers intend us to believe it was a miracle? You see, some people say this, Jesus shared his food and it prompted other people to share their food. They realised, oh, look, I've got some food here. And they started following his good example and shared out their food. And so people were healed. One writer says, Jesus feeds 5,000 miraculously. Wow, that's life changing. Jesus encourages others to share their food. That's as limp as a lettuce leaf left in the sun. And it's clearly not what we're expected to believe. Obviously, it's not what Mark is telling us. He obviously expects us to believe there's a miracle happened. It's even more obvious when you get to chapter eight and Jesus does the same thing again. And it states they've got no food. And they've been with Jesus three days. These, These are not people who, for some idiotic reason, didn't notice they've got food and then they suddenly do and follow Jesus' example. No, it is definitely claiming a miracle. Next question we need to ask, does it make sense? Is it just in the same category as Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs or Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone? It just doesn't make sense. It's just a silly story. Well, the Bible says Jesus is the son of God who created the world out of nothing. If he did that, then he can make five loaves and two fish into enough food for 5,000 or more than 5,000 people. Of course he can. It makes sense when you see what the Bible is saying about who Jesus is, the creator. The creator, of course, he can do it. That still doesn't mean it happens. So here's the third question, maybe the crucial one. Do we have here a reliable eyewitness account? Do we have here a reliable eyewitness account or something that's just been made up later? Now, let's think about it this way. Have you seen police dramas on TV? And there's the person being questioned, a person who's guilty. He's done the deed and he's being questioned by the police. 
And what does he say all the time? Or she say all the time? What do they do? What do they say? No comment. No comment. Next question. No comment. Ah, you think, why do they, it makes you sound so guilty. It makes it sound obvious you're in the wrong saying no comment. Why do they say no comment? Well, if they've been well advised, they do. Because once you start to make things up, once you start to lie or make up your own story, the little details will catch you out. It will be shown that what you said here didn't match what you said there. Or what you've said didn't match with what the other person we're questioning in another room says. So easily, the little details that you don't even think about catch you out. It's in the little details that you'll find here we have a reliable account of what people actually saw. Now, obviously, I can't this morning go through all the little details. I can recommend a book to you, though. Can We Trust the Gospels by Peter Williams? Um, You can borrow this from me, see me afterwards, or I can tell you how you can get your own copy. It's particularly good at how the little details that, that you wouldn't get right if you were making it up, or if it has just gradually, mistakenly been changed over time, the, the Gospels are so good on the little details. I wrote a bit about that on my sabbatical in the summer, which uh, asked me and I can get to you. The, the details that show the Gospels are reliable eyewitness accounts. I, I've just got time to give you a few, uh, just maybe just two. Do you remember that green grass in verse 39? Now, there wouldn't have been green grass, at least not lots of it, in the Middle East, except after the rains. Most of the year there isn't green grass, but after the rains, there's green grass. John's Gospel, without making a fuss about it, just happens to mention this miracle happened at Passover time. Which, by the way, explains the large crowds of people passing through. When's the Passover time? Just after the rains. At exactly the right time for there to be plenty of green grass. Just a little detail that fits with the practicalities and the history. John's Gospel also says, Jesus asked Philip, where can you get food from? Where can you get the food for this crowd from? Now, why did he ask Philip? John doesn't tell us. He just mentions it as a little detail. John, uh, Jesus asked Philip. We know from elsewhere Philip came from Bethsaida. So what? Ah, well, Luke tells us in passing that this miracle happened in Bethsaida. Well, that's a whole load of little details in passing that all match up. Those are the sorts of little details that you don't get right when you're making things up. You're better off saying no comment or not putting them in. Just little examples of we have got here reliable eyewitness accounts. As you find out more and more of these little details, you find here is a book I can trust. The evidence is good and strong. These people wrote what they saw. Jesus did miraculously feed 5,000 people. That means he doesn't just have compassion. He has power. Jesus doesn't just feel something for people. He has power to do something about it. He will do something. He'll die for other sin. He'll defeat death. He'll rise from the dead. Chapter 5 of this story would be the results of the miracle, but we've run out of time. 
I wish I could tell you how this banquet in the wilderness is such a good picture of the gospel. Jesus' miracle is actually Jesus acting out the gospel. But we've run out of time. Maybe you can try and think for yourself. Have a look at who it's done for, how it's done, what the results are, even the way they sit in in an orderly fashion. That's a bit of a puzzler, but it is even picturing one of the results of the gospel. We've run out of time. This historical account of what Jesus actually did is showing you the leader you need. Look at his compassion. Look at his power. He's a real person. In real history, God become man. And he's now in heaven. And he still has compassion. And he still has power. Compassion for needy people. Power to change you in the way you need to put us right at the deepest level. We're like sheep. We can't do life on our own. We need a leader. We need a shepherd. So if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, don't try to do life on your own. You can't and you don't need to. You don't need to. Because there is a shepherd leader called Jesus who has compassion and has power. You need him. If you are a Christian, isn't life sometimes confusing? Isn't it often hard? Isn't it a bit wilderness-like at times? And sometimes you can't see what God is doing. And sometimes it doesn't look like he has compassion and power because your life just seems not to match with that. Remember the feeding of the 5,000. It's real history. It is there to demonstrate to you, however it feels, Jesus still has compassion and he still has power. He's the one you need. Keep following him.